It's time for class. Civics just doesn't begin and end on election day. This is Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged with political strategist L. Joy Williams on Sirius XM's Urban View. Welcome to Sunday Civics. I am your host, L. Joy Williams, and your neighborhood political strategist. And I am so happy that you all have made it to class this morning. So you're gonna be tuned in to this conversation. There might be a couple of giggles, some laughs, so wish we had some drinks in front of us. This is a conversation you're basically sitting in on a, what would I say, like a brunch conversation or, you know, sitting in the lounge after you've been in a conference all day and you're talking about people kind of conversation, but in a good way. That is because joining us at the front of the class for the very first time is Ashanti Golar. She serves as president of Emerge the only organization dedicated to recruiting and training Democratic women to run for office. She is also assisted in the podcast movement because she created and hosts the Brown Girl Guide to Politics. Welcome to the front of the class for the very first time, Ashanti Galar. Hey, Ashanti. Hey, Eljoy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on. You know, I mean, I'm describing this as a conversation, some of which we've had before where, you know, it's after a conference, yes. you know, we're sitting at the bar in the lounge or whatever, or it's the last day of the conference and we're just telling all of the things that was wrong, what we would have done. Yep. <laughs> That's what I'm expecting this conversation to be. <laughs> but we're going to get in some, you know, some, some some news and information people can use and also some things that they should be doing in between, you know, the sisterhood conversation. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so we're going to start where we start with every guest though, even though you're not, you know, one of those traditional, traditional staunchy guests, but I do want to hear the story. I don't think I've ever heard the story of your first civic action. Yes. So for me, my first civic action actually started in high school. I had that amazing government teacher, Mrs. King, and she knew anyone and everyone in politics. So that year we had a high profile U.S. Senate race and she brought in both candidates. My issue was the minimum wage. I worked a part-time job to have extra money. I have friends that work part-time jobs to have extra money to support the family. I 100% believe in a livable wage. I asked the one candidate, the Democrat, how he felt about the minimum wage. Of course, he was about raising it. And I'm like, yes, my man, why I love you. And I asked the Republican candidate, who was a congressman at the time, why he voted not to raise the minimum wage. And he said, oh, no, I voted to raise it. I said, you didn't. He said, I did. I said, you didn't. So we started arguing back and forth. I'm like, dude, I can look at your votes. You didn't vote to raise it. And he says to me, you don't know what you're talking about. And just being a high school girl, I was like, you know what? You're not that hot. Your tie's ugly. And I hope you lose. Because I, I was just offended. So the next day, my teacher calls me over. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. And she says that he called her and admitted that he had lied, that he didn't vote to raise a minimum wage. And he did not like the fact that I called him out. So in my mind, I'm like, 
Is it because I'm a girl? Because I'm young? Because I can't vote? And all of those things were true. But I could volunteer. So I volunteered for his opponent every free moment that I got. And his opponent ended up winning that U.S. Senate race by less than 500 votes. And that was United States Senator Harry Reid. May he rest in power. And that showed me the power that we had. If we were young, if we were girls, if we couldn't vote, I absolutely could influence other people's vote. And that is the civic action that got me hooked on this thing called politics. And now I'm here talking to you today. I absolutely love the fact that you were like, and you're not, you're not ugly. You ain't that Because just back then, everyone's like, oh, you know, Harry Reid, but look at, and it was John Ensign. Look at John Ensign. Like, he looked like a Ken doll. You know, and, you know back then, everyone's just like, ooh, drooling over him. And I was like, nah, you ain't hot. I don't know who told you to wear that tie. And I really, really want you to lose. So. Um, I think that story, <laughs> oh my god I think that story is really empowering also for young people who can't vote because you know I'm working on a piece right now of all the things you can do other than voting right because there are a lot of people who depending on where they live they're barred from voting mm-hmm. depending on when they live whatever if they have a felony or things of that nature or uh, restitution to pay back. There are also young people who are very, very active and engaged and involved, but they don't have the vote yet. So talking about other ways when you're not empowered and, you know, my even my daughters, my youngest one is, you know, she's like, it doesn't make sense to her. Why can't she vote when she know all her people? She's right. like, I know them. She's like, I know them. Why can't I vote? And I was like, well, you have to be of age. And she's like, that's dumb. <laughs> Right. Like, if I know the people and I want them to represent me, why can't I vote? And I'm like, well, (laughs) but you you can tell everyone why they should vote for that person. Right. Why you need them representing you. And I do think it's so important. And that did just really teach me a lesson about the role that all of us have to play, because we know as black people, we're told about the power of voting. But there's just so much more in this political ecosystem where we can all have a role and impact. Yeah. You know, that's particularly important for me, particularly right now, where I'm sure like me, you've kind of decreased the amount of time you're on social media. I feel like all of my friends have. Yeah. But, you know, the conversation on social media is the people telling people to vote. The answer to everything is vote versus the people saying, you know, it's not the answer to everything. And as we know, it's more complicated than that and includes more than that. But it does feel a, a little bit reductive to me to just tell people just like rent too high, vote. And it's just like, yeah, but, I, but my rent is high. <laughs> I, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, obviously we talk about on this show and, you know, you and I also come from the school of thought. It's just like, you know, you organize locally up. You can't mm-hmm. like vote is not a magic spell. Right. But mm-hmm. it is actually obviously important. And there here's, you know, why your rent being high sort of connects mm-hmm. to that. But I would love to hear, you know, your thought about that state where people are, where it's like the salve, the the response to everything is, but vote. It's 
what happens after the vote too? And I don't think we talk about that enough. We're just, it's election day in the primary, it's election day in the general, and we have done our civic duty. And all these people are going to do all the things that they promised that they were going to do. We know that that ain't the case. We have to be holding our elected leaders accountable. And that's when we start to see the change. With everything going on in the world right now, especially with reproductive freedom, one of the things that I say is I'm very glad that my nieces and my nephews get to grow up in a better Nevada than I did. And it is due to Emerge alums. The first woman majority chamber happened in Nevada due to Emerge alums. And I see all of the work that they did for women, for families, for people. Because the fact is, women's issues are everyone's issues. That's really important. I know you and I talk about that all the time. It's not just a silo. But it was also all of these amazing people that I grew up with, that I came up with in Nevada, who championed those issues, who pushed them, who were sometimes not kind and have some fractured relationships with people because you have to be there and you have to be loud. It's when we become complacent, when we're not saying anything, when we think that the vote is going to be the end-all be-all, that's when we don't see the change. That's when we see these elected officials who go unchallenged for years and because they know that no one's paying attention. Yeah, I find that particularly important to make people aware of because Look, most of our audience, most of the people that are engaged that we're talking to get it because we've been saying it for so often, right? They get how your vote is or your decision not to vote has real world implications, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't think you need to beat people over the head with a vote hammer, (laughs) you know, in terms of, you know, saying that that is the, the end all be all. Now, there are some real consequences of you deciding to vote one way or the other Mm -hmm. or deciding it out alone that we all then have to live with yeah right so like that so there is that balance right of like yes it is not going to it's not a magic spell voting is not a magic spell it's not going to cure all however your decision not to not to vote or not to vote or voting a different for one candidate over the other this is the system where in which we live has implications and we we've seen the implications of that overall. We do. And people losing by one vote, five votes, 50 votes, 500 votes, it's real. Every year at Emerge, because elections happen every year, I call our alums who lost because I feel it's important to talk to them. And there are women who lost by one vote, by 10 votes, by 25 votes, it happens. And you just think, what happens if just that one person decides to vote? Or when it ends up in a tie. Right now, I'm currently living in Virginia. And a few years ago, there was a House of Delegates race that was tied. And in Virginia, you break a tie by a coin toss. Our Emerge alum didn't choose right in the coin toss. So therefore, the Republicans continue to hold a majority in the House of Delegates. So you had all of these things that were 
not passing by one vote. Medicare expansion, things around education, transportation. All of us in this Commonwealth got impacted just by that one person in that district who didn't show up to vote. So yes, it's like that's absolutely where it starts. And who you choose absolutely makes a difference. Living in Virginia now, seeing what we had these past four years and what we have now, you see it. You absolutely see the difference that it makes when some people just want to sit back and unfortunately, they'll say, you know what? I'm good. It's not going to impact me. Whoever is in there, that's privilege. Or the people who are like, it doesn't make a difference anyway. No one's ever done anything for me. And especially in this political climate, as things are still really rough, I live it, I breathe it, I see it every day with Emerge. You got to pay attention to who the good candidates are and you got to get out there and vote for them because it is going to continue to make a difference, especially on if we're going to continue to have this democracy that we live in. Yeah. Well, Ashanti, I have more to ask you about, particularly about Emerge and the role Emerge plays with women in identifying candidates, supporting them, training them to run. We're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about Emerge in detail. But then I also want to ask you this question that I'm asking every guest for the fall. And let's have a conversation about why we identify, why our political ideology leans into being a Democrat in this mm-hmm. current age. So mm-hmm. we'll take this quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about Emerge and why we're Democrats. We'll be right, right. back. All the wahala, all the problems, all the things that you think that you must do to start in this world. Like when the teacher, schoolboy and schoolgirl come together. Who is the teacher? I go let you know. Welcome back to Sunday Civics. I'm L. Joy Williams. And joining us at the front of the class is Ashanti Golar. She's the president of Burrs and also the creator and host of The Blind Girl's Guide to Politics. So Ashanti, before we took a break, we talked, I mentioned that I wanted to dive a little bit deeper on the role that Emerge plays in identifying, recruiting, and training women, Democratic women, to run for office. Can you talk a bit more about that role? Yes. So I had the honor and privilege of being the first Black woman to lead Emerge. I took over in February 2020, right before the pandemic, not a part of my 90-day plan, but we're still going strong. But we were founded in 2002 in California. So we're celebrating 20 years of recruiting and training Democratic women to run for office. And our co-founders back then, they looked around this progressive state of California, this blue city of San Francisco, and they didn't see a lot of women in office. And they knew that they wanted to change it. And a lot of them were friends with our vice president, Kamala Harris, when she was running her first DA race. And they all just really chipped in to help her win. And it showed them all of the hurdles and the barriers as well that women face when running for office, which shows them why there weren't a lot of women in office. And they wanted to change that. So Emerge was created in 2002. 
Our national organization was created in 2005 to replicate the program because it was so successful. And now we have 27 state affiliates across the country. We've trained women from 44 states. Over 5,000 women have gone through our training program, which is very intensive. Over half of them have run for office and won. And we currently have over 1,000 that are serving in elected office. And that includes our first Indigenous cabinet secretary, Deb Holland. That includes the first Asian woman mayor of Boston, Michelle Wu. And going back to state houses, it also includes the women of the Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, and Oregon state houses who created the first majority woman chambers. And with our goals for the next 15 years that I worked with our team to create, it's our MERS 2035 plan. We are focusing on the new American majority. When I sat back and looked at the future of the country and who are going to be the majority of the people, it was Black, Brown, and Indigenous people, people of color, young women, unmarried women, and LGBTQ people. And it's very important for me in this role at Emerge that we're centering equity and justice. So I centered equity and justice and the Emerge 2035 plan. And we're recruiting and training women of the new American majority as a central part of our goals. And we want to reach 100,000 of them to take political action, including running for office. Our second part is called Lift As We Climb. With having 1,000 alums in elected office, I want to see them run for higher office. I don't believe that women have to bloom where they're planted. That's something the patriarchy teaches us. So as they run for higher office, we want to be there to support them. But we're also being extremely strategic and making sure that we're reaching back and recruiting an eMERGE woman to run for the seat that they're vacating so that the progress continues to happen. Our therapies is what we do best, repowering political structures. With 520,000 elected offices in this country, there's a lot of work to do. And I really want to create majority woman legislative bodies. And I'm unapologetic about that. And that includes city councils, state houses. And right now we have a huge focus on judges. We just got a judicial grant to increase the number of women judges that we are training at Emerge. And I'm really excited that the majority of those women judges that we have trained that have won are Black women. So it's really exciting to do this work when you get to see the actual impact that our alums have in people's lives. I love that. And I particularly love the focus, the the deep dive, because last week we talked to Sister Districts, Lala at um, Sister District. Yes. <laughs> on um, state legislatures and focusing on these local races and even down to judicial races. I recently going through emails and I'm so sorry to the listener who this was that email, she was doing her ballot and couldn't figure out how to decide between the judges that were on her list because, you know, how much communication is given to people mm. about how to choose one of the judici judicial candidates on their ballot, right? Mm -hmm. That's something we talked about a lot. Um, and I'm so sorry, I didn't see that till later, but you know, to be able to guide her to resources for that. But th those things are important. We see mm -hmm. the effects of decision 
that are happening day after day, right, in the political news will we see. And people focus on who judges were appointed by mm-hmm. and their political stance and the outcome of their decisions from that. Mm-hmm. And so, as you mentioned, having a diverse elected in terms of candidates, whether that be for judges, for state legislature, even to Congress, allows for a diversity of experiences that people can bring to their work. And so just think about a judge having diversity of experiences of the people who serve on the bench can result into more equity and justice in a, in, in a different way. So I, I definitely commend you all for going further down the ballot, as I always advocate, <laughs> right? Everything can't be yeah. president of Congress. <laughs> no, because when you look at it, president and vice president, that's two offices. Congress, that's 535. The rest are state and local. Those are the people that have the biggest impact on our lives. And before becoming president of Emerge, I was our political director. And I really want to focus on having more women in these law enforcement positions as attorney general, as sheriff, as judges, as prosecutors, they have so much power. And we want to look at our criminal justice system and then we're like, why is it the way it is? Why is it the way it is? Look at the people who are leading it. Like the majority of sheriffs, like 90% are white men. That tells us a lot. So I like to say, if we want to change the criminal justice system, we got to change the basis of criminal justice reform which means we need more people of color, especially women, in those positions. Yeah. And it's not only about changing the complexion. It's also changing what their thought process is, what their experience is. I'm giving a speech in a couple of weeks um, that talks about, like, all my electeds look like me, but I still ain't free. Oh, 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 this is why I need the brunch memo. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Uh, that was going to give me a couple of calls Uh, but I mean I mean it it has to be said and it's not because one is people who get into positions of power and then just replicate Mm -hmm. the same institution the Mm -hmm. same vestiges of colonialism and Mm. you know they just repeat the same thing right if Mm -hmm. we're going to elect you you look like me, but you're going to go in there and do the same thing that the people that we fought against doing, like, what was the mm-hmm. point, right? So the, mm-hmm. it's also being able to discern the candidates put before you and not just about, you know, complexion and, and background. The second thing is also recognizing, because uh, I feel like conservatives use this point, particularly Black conservatives lose, use this point a lot, talking about democratic cities, where they say, well, look, the city is all black or it's all democratic run and there's still these problems and not helping people understand that a city still exists under a state. And Uh so you can have democratic cities, but Mm -hmm. if they have Republican state institutions or institutions that are ran by certain, you know, Democrats or others who don't break the stronghold that they have on cities, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's where a lot of states get their funding from, but then they don't sort of pour back into them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't help people understand that, then they will think, right, that, oh, nobody's doing nothing for me. <laughs> but yeah. From that standpoint. It's just, and I say doing this work with Emerge and the recruitment and the tree, the training is, 
I can't see red. I can't see blue. I can't see purple. All I see is opportunity for us to make change because it has to be change everywhere. Even if you have this blue city and you have Republican leadership that's really cracking down and making bad decisions, it's not going to matter. There's only so much that your local elected officials can do. It's why we talk about know your whole ballot and vote your whole ballot. I never have understood people where they're like, oh, I just skipped that person. It doesn't matter. And I'm, I'm about to tell a story from when I worked in the Obama administration. I was traveling with Secretary Solis and we finished doing a church event. So we're heading out. And this woman runs up to me and she like tugs on my outfit. And I'm like, ma'am, my grandma got me this outfit. <laughs> I'm like, is there, I'm like, can I help you? It's like, what do you need? And she goes, you need to tell Obama to fix my potholes. I go, well, ma'am, the president doesn't focus on potholes. He has a lot of other big worldwide issues to focus on. I said, who's your city people? That's who you need to be talking to. And she goes, oh, I don't know who those people are. I don't pay attention to them. And I said, and that is why you still have that pothole. The secretary can't fix your pothole. President Obama can't fix your pothole. You need to go to your local people. So there's just still, I think, this fascination that the federal government does it all, can fix it all. And no, it's actually that person who's probably in the grocery store with you, who is your city council person that you don't know, you need to be tugging on their outfit to tell them to fix your pothole. Don't be tugging on my outfit. Oh my God, I mean this outfit. I mean, it's related to, I tell this story all the time about helping a community, helping a block reduce there. In New York City, we have opposite side of the street parking, right? You have to move your cars. <laughs> yes, I see those signs all the time. I just, yeah. If I lived in New York, I don't know how y'all drive. I, <laughs> I, it would stress me out. Most, it, most of us don't drive, right? <laughs> like, become like me in the mom van, like it's only recently that I've driven most of my life, you know, adult life here in New York City. I have not had a car, but, and I remember sitting smug. I was annoyed that I had to be at this meeting because it was like a community board meeting. My boss had sent me to, somebody else was supposed to go and I was mad I was there. And, you know, they're talking about how to reduce the frequency that they have opposite side from three days to two days or something like that. And, you know, I, I, I tell the story all the time because it's one of the impetus of me creating Sunday Civics because I had the information and I talked to people in the room as if like they like I was like, all you have to do is, you know, and I just kind of list out the things. Well, they didn't know, <laughs> you know. And so those of us that have the information, that have the relationships, that have the power, this is what makes me so upset about elected officials who go into go into their legislature, you know, their sheriffs, their district attorney, and sort of repeat the same the same thing that was done in previous administration is you have the information the other people do not. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I remember being smug. I was young, you know, and smug and just like, all you gotta do is do this. You don't know that. Right. But sort of helping them through the process of how to do this, again, a local municipal process, right, empowered people. It was like, oh, mm. we can do that. 
right? And that they were able to come together and do this to reduce the thing. And then they were ready for the next thing, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things I try to be mindful of is empowering people with the information. One, you know, we don't do enough. And when I say we collectively, you know, everything is focused on the presidential election. Mm-hmm. Everything is focused on the president and, you know, Congress. So it shouldn't, it's not a surprise to us that people think Biden can fix everything. There's a global, <laughs> like, economic <laughs> situation happening, but it's Biden's fault we got in right. And I'm like, how does that, just stop a second. Right, <laughs> like, right. That makes sense, right? Right. Um, so the same amount of energy that we put into presidential elections, we ought to put into municipal elections and state Mm -hmm. legislatures. And, you know, and given that you've been in a role both as president, as political director, working in administrations and other, what are your thoughts on how we deep dive in terms of doing that? Because not just our organizations, which have, you know, grants or things to do specific things, right? It requires a collective action. How do we do that? It's find your people in the community because they're there. Like your Brooklyn NAACP, they are there. There are people that care about these issues like you who want to make change. Go find them. Like that's the first step. And unfortunately, if they don't exist, created. I had a conversation with a young woman from Massachusetts after I did a speaking engagement a few weeks ago. And she was like, this is what I want to do. And whenever I run for office, they fight so hard against me because they know I know the information and that I'm going to get things done. And I have all of these supporters, but how do I even galvanize my supporters? And I said to her, have you just started thinking about doing your own group that can grow into something bigger. And while she thought about running for office, she hadn't even thought about that small step that she could take to gather all the like-minded people who support her, who care about the issues to make change. Like that's really where it starts. Writing that letter to the editor, writing the letter to an elected official on social media, tweeting about the issues, showing the photo, like, and saying why you care and why this is important, that actually matters. We all have a network. I don't like when people are like, well, I really don't have that big of a network. Your network is in your phone. Your network is on Facebook. It's on social media. It's your church. It's your sorority. It's your HOA. We all have this platform. And just starting by talking about it, finding that area to get involved, even starting your own organization, like that's, that's really it. And it's also a part of why I founded the Brown Girls Guide. I really wanted to make it easy and accessible for Brown girls to find their way to get politically engaged. I am very blessed that I was able to have women believe in me that saw things in me that I didn't see in myself so that I can be here and I really want to pay it for That's important to me. So just that one small little thing, like that's where you start. You don't have to think big and extravagant. That one small step will start to make a difference. Yeah. 
So you're the first that I'm asking this question to for the guests for the fall. You know, I, in the early part of starting Sunday Civics, I talked a lot about political ideology, where we get it from. Well, most people, their political ideology is tied to what their parents' political ideology was. Well, my mom is a Republican, so I guess I'm a Republican. Right, <laughs> right. You know, right. But there's nothing, there's no class, there's no civic coming of age where the question is posed to you. And and madam, which political ideology shall I choose? Right, <laughs> like, right, exactly. Like there's no rites of passage for There's me. no rites of passage. There's no magical hat that nope. we put on our head and it's going to tell us, okay, this is your political house <laughs> where you will reside for the rest of your life. Doesn't exist. Right. And so uh, helping people just go back and think about, huh, how did I become a Democrat? How did I become a Republican? You know, like, how did I come to this or what my or even stepping back and say, OK, what are my political values separate and apart from a political party? And then which political party most aligns? That's what I try to tell people to do. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm a Democrat because that is the party that most aligns, not 100 percent but that most aligns in this current era with my political values, right? Same, um, yes. And so, you know, I'm thinking about why it is the Democratic Party right now and versus another. I have thoughts, obviously, and I talk a lot of bit about it, but I'd love to hear from you, particularly leading Emerge, which is focused on recruiting training and electing Democratic women. You're very specific about that. We are. <laughs> and also for you individually, mm -hmm. you know, why is the Democratic Party where your political values most align? Mm -hmm. And I have been asked this before, but I haven't been asked it really since the pandemic. So thank you for this question. But really, these past almost three years for me, have affirmed why I'm a Democrat. When the pandemic hit, we knew like no one knew what to do. Like, what is this thing? We never had this before. But I saw the way that Emerge Alons were working to protect their community. I saw Mayor London Breed of San Francisco. She was the first one to say, hey, I'm listening to the smart people around me. This is a big deal. I'm going to need for people to shelter in place for a bit where you had a whole bunch of other male mayors, even Republican mayors saying it's a hoax and a big deal. Go about your life. You're going to be all right. We saw how that turned down in a lot of cities. I saw alums who had worked in domestic violence who were now district attorneys saying, hey, yes, we need to shelter in place, you know, stay at home. But home isn't the safest place for everyone. So I need to make sure that we're not reducing services for victims of domestic violence, that we're expanding them during this time so we can support those people who are going to need our support because we're going to see a rise in domestic violence. I saw our alums who said, all right, school is closed. We're doing this virtual learning School is the place where most of the students in my district get their only meal of the day. What are we doing to make sure that these families can still come and get meals for kids? That they were making sure that debt collectors weren't 
coming with even more unfair practices when people were getting laid off. This is what I saw. I saw these women with their lived experiences, their background, caring about the whole of the person and bringing in every single aspect that was going to be impacted by the pandemic. And it was Democratic women that were doing that. And it's what kept me going during the pandemic is seeing how they didn't give up, how they doubled down on making sure that they were fighting to give their constituents all the support that they could and their position. And we know that the pandemic has changed a lot. So when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to education, when it comes to the criminal justice system, I also see them reimagining what this can look like because we know like this can happen again. We have the flu pandemic, we got the COVID pandemic, there will be another one. And they're like, what are the things that I can put in place to make sure that lives will be better for people when it happens again? And that just made me very proud to be a Democrat, to see that the work that they were doing was actually saving people's lives. It was having a positive impact on people's lives during a very, very dark time. And it aligned with my values. Like I'm a Democrat because I truly care about people and I want to see people do well. I want to see them thrive. I want to see them have the best. And the Democratic Party right now it's the party that is doing that, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I think it's important to ask people that question to not just be tied to a party because, you know, that's just what I've always been rather than knowing right. specifically, <laughs> right, what what are the values? What are the things that tie you to this? It allows you then as things change, as we see in the Republican Party now, that I can't see, you know, my mom is a Republican and, you know, for her, even going through that process, she had a lot of angst about like, this doesn't really a lot, like a lot of my values. Yeah, I, I, I remember I'm when. Like, mom, it's okay, <laughs> like to say this doesn't fit anymore and I'm going to go, like, I'm going to go a different way. Right. In terms of where she lived. Now, she's a California Republican. So that's a whole different. <laughs> yeah, that's a different piece. But I, I remember when we were in Las Vegas doing an event and your mom was there and you introduced us to her and you're like, she's a Republican. And we were like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> we still love you, mom. We right. Love you. But it was, you know, like it happens and. We also know the Republican Party, they are making a very big play for Black people, particularly Black, black men. men. Right. And I'm seeing it in my own family. Yeah. It is very hard for me to have my younger brothers. I have two younger brothers who used to joke that I was so political that their first word was Democrat. Ha, ha, ha. They love telling that joke. I'm now arguing with them about the pandemic, like the war in Ukraine and everything that's happening because they're just feeding them all these talking points and misinformation, in my opinion. And I'm just like, whoo, right. 
And to me, it would be, you know, and that's happening, you know, I think in a lot of people's families, and I don't think it's talked about enough how it's happening in Black communities. I, I feel like in talking to some of my Latino sisters, they say, like, we've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> it hasn't been talked about as much, but like this has happened to us like for a long time, right? And sort of just talking about that split. And I'm, I'm, you know, prepping a show to talk to some historians about that. We talk a lot about how African-Americans as a whole sort of went from, you know, Lincoln's party to, you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say just to them with like FDR's party, you know, like it was, right, you know, right. like, we'll talk about oh, that. Yeah. But, you know, are we really talking about like, you know, certain age group and women going one way and Black men going another way, like in our communities, like, ooh, like the the mm-hmm. the, the political scientist in me is like, oh, this is interesting. Right, <laughs> right. But then like having to live through it, I'm like, no, 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 brother. I, I know. <laughs> it's like we're, we're at dinner, we're with like my nieces and my nephews, and I'm like, we're that family right now. Like, you know, that family that goes out and is having like the political arguments. We used to be the family just talking the same smack. And now I'm like, wait, what happened? Okay, I, I need another glass of wine. Right. It was I, like, I, well, let me I, go on this other end of the table right yeah, there. Yeah. Talk like, about something that don't sound right. I wasn't anticipating this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, we're going to take our last break. And then we come back. Let's talk about Power Rising. Because we're going to get together soon. We are. <laughs> so we'll take this last break and we'll be right back. How can it be that you love the most unlovable part of me? Of me. How could you see your life was the only gift I left for me to be free? It's amazing. Welcome back to Sunday Civics. You have been sitting in on this conversation between myself and Ashanti, from who is the president of Emerge and also the creator and host of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. Ashanti, we get to be together soon. And yes. I, don't, I don't know. Have we been together since the pandemic? This is going to be my first time seeing you since oh the gosh. pandemic. Okay. So we are going to be in Atlanta for Power Rising 2022. Talk a bit about Power Rising. Yes. So Power Rising is this amazing conference for Black women that was started by two of the colored girls. If you don't know about them, research them. They have a fabulous book, The Bishop Leah Daughtry, who is from New York, and Mignon Moore. And it is all about giving us the things that we need to nurture our whole selves, but also the tools to take back to our community. So we talk about politics. Eljoy is doing a great political panel. We talk about health and wellness. We talk about our finances. We talk about tech. We talk about our faith. And we have so much fun doing it. This is Literally my favorite conference to do. I missed it when we weren't doing it, doing it live during the pandemic when we were virtual. And just the feeling of being in this room with Black women, it brings me so much joy. And the theme this year is celebrating our joy. 
because we do want to celebrate a lot of the good that has happened. There has been a lot of bad, but celebrating the fact that all of us are going to be able to be in person because we're blessed. We survived when so many people didn't. We'll also be honoring those who didn't. And I'm just really, really looking forward to being able to gather with everyone, see everyone, and give Black women more tools to take back to their community. I love it. And I love that we get, as you and I get to be in the same space since the pandemic, there are a number of other Black women will be able to be in the same space and celebrate joy. And not just because this, you know, this year's conference is in, you know, I'm taking it to believe that this is in celebration of me. It has my name on it. So, yeah. <laughs> The Conference of Joy. The Conference of Joy. And I will bring joy the entire time I'm there. So if you are in the area, you should definitely go to Power Rising. If you have some travel time from your job in terms of sharing, you should go to Power Rising website and find out more about the conference and, and possibly join us there as well. And I'll be talking to more women, more folks attending. Sunday Civics will be there recording and talking to women about their first civic action, talking about how they are organizing in their respective communities and the fights that they are taking on on various issues from economic justice to environmental justice to even health and wellness. And I'm looking forward to, you know, what's interesting, Ashanti, I don't know if you have the similar experience. Majority of the conferences and things that I go, go to, I'm either speaking, presenting at, or something like that. And very rarely get an opportunity to attend as a participant. And I'm, I'm looking forward to attending as a participant on the financial pieces because I'm very much, my husband and I are very much focused on not repeating generational, you know, trauma and things like Bang. that. And another one mm -hmm. is on our finances because, you know, mm -hmm. we love grandma in them, but they stuff was all, they, it, was a, it was a little messed up. Yeah. And, uh, I want to make sure that I don't leave things messed up. <laughs> Yes. Oh yes. Like same. And I remember in like ninth grade, we had a class where they taught you how to balance your checkbook and everything. So yes, I'm older than I look. <laughs> they, did, <laughs> they did those things back when I was in ninth grade, but they still really didn't teach you about credit and loans and 401ks and investing. And all of that stuff, like those were things that I had to learn on my own because like my family wasn't doing that. So like the financial piece is just so real, so real. Yeah. yeah. And to think about, you know, I'm, I'm having a little like small panic attack. My mother-in-law, who's recently retired and like has this accumulation because she's retired accumulation of like pension checks where she doesn't have to work. She only works because she's tired of being like at home. And I'm like, Oh, snap. I'm not going to be able to do that. Hey, <laughs> right? like, okay. Oh, I'm so glad I had that same realization like a few weeks ago. And I was like, I got to, okay. I, I started recalculating. I was right. like, I, I got to get on it. Like I, I'm single. So it's just me. You have like your lovely husband. He's so great. I'm just like, Woo, woo. Yeah, that anxiety and stress. Right. I just had a hard. I was like <laughs> laying down and I was like, wait, I'm not gonna have who how am I yeah. what am I gonna how am I travel? How am I right, right, <laughs> right. Because we both like these vacations. 
how we gonna go with you? I think we're we gonna be living on social security if it's still there. That's only like six hundred dollars. Like, where are we going? We're <laughs> be vacationing at the Hilton down the street. <laughs> That's what we gonna be doing. It makes me think my my mom was always like, you know, when I was younger, you know, she was like, you know, you should just go and like work for the military like as a civilian, so then you can get a pension. And then after 15, 20 years, then you can do all your political stuff. And I was like, Mom, that's not (laughs) whatever. But now I was just like, oh, wait, she had something going She had nothing going there. Right. I don't know. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to collectively come together. We need to find some kind of policy or bill we need to introduce. Look, (laughs) to the elected officials listening to us. We need, we need you to get on it. We need something. I still need to be taking my vacations and my right. 70s and my 70s. I need, I, I need to choose to work, not have to work at 80. So, like, I need y'all to work yeah. on <laughs> But, Shanti, I'm looking forward to seeing you at Power Rising. I'm looking forward to seeing those of you who are listening, who are in the area, or who would like to travel there. Because, you know, y'all got pension money. Um <laughs> And we'll talk more about Elizabeth. Shanti, thank you so very much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me. And I can't wait to see you, sis. All right. And thanks to all of you for joining us here on Sunday Civics. We'll be back next Sunday with more conversations (laughs) and more civic lessons that you can use to take civic action. Have a great one. We are.